Greetings, this is Dr. Chris Bergwald, Director of the Office of Evangelization and Catechesis with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls, and I'm happy to introduce the following presentation from a Faith for Life seminar held in Sioux Falls on November 15, 2008, on the topic of the genius of woman, being a Catholic woman in the 21st century. The presenter is Ms. Je Jeanette DeMello, Director of Communications and Archdiocesan Spokeswoman for the Archdiocese of Denver and Archbishop Charles Chaput. Ms. DeMello is also on the board of the National Catholic Women's Organization in Dow. This is the first of three talks which Ms. DeMello gave. The recording picks up as she is introducing herself just after she refers to her graduate degree in social communications from the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome. I hope you enjoy this presentation and may God bless you. The Holy Cross in Rome. At Steubenville I studied humanities. Steubenville, I studied humanities. So I don't have a theology degree. I'm not speaking you today speaking to you today as a theologian. I'm speaking to you as a communicator. I'm speaking to you as a woman. Um, someone who has studied about women, who has desired to know what God's plan is for my life, particularly um, as a woman. And so I want you to know that I'm not I'm not coming here separate to teach you, but really to come here and to discuss with you, to journey with you in, <laughs> into, into who you are as a woman, to understand yourself as God has created you to be. <clears throat> the title of the talk was, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but something about the genius of women. First of all, that's very interesting terms that we'll get into later. And then another kind of vague term, which is women in the 21st century, um, women in the church in the 21st century. And I thought as I read that, gosh, that's vague. That's great, because it leaves me a lot of room to work. But it also, it made me question, okay, why are these people coming? What do they, what do they want to know? So before I begin the presentation, I wanted to ask you, what are, what are you hoping to find out about women? What brought you here? What comes to your mind? What's the very first thing that comes to your mind when you hear women in the church? Anyone? You can raise your hand and just yell out. What's the particular gift that women have to give to the church today, uh, regardless of their interest? Okay, so what is the gift that women have to give to the church, regardless of their particular interests? So how do women get more recognition in the church? Any other thoughts? What, what did you think of when you when you were coming to learn about women in the church? Isn't it? What is the genius? So that intrigued you. What is the genius of women? Very good. Recognizing your own genius. That's very good. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, so we come kind of wanting to know, first of all, what we can do to be recognized. 
wanting to affirm ourselves for who we are. And those are all very, very good reasons. Thank you for sharing those thoughts with me. I'd like you to think, again, today of today as a journey. Um, I'm going to present some ideas to you, but I really want it to be a reflection for you. You're going to get some ideas, but it's really going to require you thinking and praying and meditating on these ideas um, to, to really let them sink into your heart. We're going to journey into the heart of who we are, who God created us to be. We're going to be led on this journey with the teachings of Pope John Paul. So this morning, I'm going to be using a couple of documents written by Pope John Paul, our, our late Pope. Um, one of the documents, actually I'll use the in chronological order. One of the documents is called On the Dignity of Women. In Latin, it's called Mulieris Dignitatum, On the Dignity of Women. And this, I believe, was um, written in 1988. The other document that I'll be drawing from is called Letter to Women. And this was written by Pope John Paul in 1995. I'm also going, going to be drawing um, from an organization's material called Endow. The organization is called Endow, and it's an acronym for Educating on the Nature and Dignity of Women. This is a, a, this is a group that started in Denver, um, and I am a part of the uh, organization. I'm on the board of the organization now. And it was started by a woman who um, was working for the Archdiocese, and she kind of had an interesting um, conversion story. She was working for the Archdiocese, working for a kind of a, a group under the umbrella of the Archdiocese, and came in to the Archdiocesan building, like the Chancery building, for instance. And she... When she did that, she ended up um, getting on a different insurance plan, and it was the Archdiocese insurance plan, and she found out that she could not um, have birth control on the Archdiocese insurance plan, and that infuriated her. And, um, but what it actually did was open her heart to, to seeing herself in a new way, and it began her journey into the church's teaching about women, a journey into appreciating women, appreciating herself, appreciating her body in a different way. And that was the start of this great organization called Endow, which is a, um, a group that has printed study guides, they look like this, that go along with the documents that I, the documents that I just showed you. So they just kind of travel, they, they go together, and um, women get together in, stump, in small study groups to... Um, to study these documents, and they just have a facilitator as a leader. It's not a, it's not a teacher. Again, it's a facilitator that just kind of leads you through the studies with a group of women, um, a group of friends. So those are the two things that I'm drawing my my talks from. So you can um, find out more about Endow in many of uh, your dioceses. Um, Endow has permission to be, and so you could um, start your own study guide, uh, study group. And also, these documents can easily be found on the internet, um, both uh, the Letter to Women and on the Dignity of Women at the Vatican's website. So that's a possibility if you want to read more on your own, but I wanted to at least give you that option. Um, the Pope starts his dialogue on women, focusing on the fact that we are created with wonderful and unique gifts that, that are... For, for the world, they're not just for us, these wonderful and unique gifts. They're gifts that help us to enrich 
the world. And yet there are many obstacles to these gifts, to, to living out the, these gifts. The obstacles are historical, and we're going to walk through the history. Um, there are also uh, deeply personal obstacles sometimes, you know, just as a result of original sin and some of our weaknesses as women. We learn, um, we're going to learn from history. We're going to look at history first in this first session. And we're also going to learn from the story of creation. Also the story of the restoration with Mary and Christ. We'll see Christ and his example um, to women, uh, of treating women in the Gospels. And then we're also, like I said, going to learn from the teaching of the church and from the saints, like St. Einstein. Before we actually delve into the material, I'd like to start, though, with a prayer. Let's pray. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We begin this, thank- this day with praise and thanksgiving for, for you. For being our Lord and our Savior and for calling us here today. We ask you to... to enlighten our hearts and our minds so that we might be able to receive all that you want us to hear. That it rests in our hearts. That we believe it with our whole hearts. That we're able to live it according to your plan and for your glory. Lord, I ask for your help today in presenting. That I say what you want me to say. And I ask that you help these beautiful women to hear what you want them to hear. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was not thy native. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, our mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. Thank you. This first part is called Breaking Glass Ceilings. Now what does that mean? Breaking glass ceilings. It's kind of the idea when someone reaches the top, reaches the top and goes right through it, correct? That's what breaking glass ceilings means. This year, there, there are many things we can look around in this year and say there, there were some glass ceilings that were broken. Um, yet, we also see that when you break it, if you were to break a glass ceiling, and you kind of get this image that you could just be floating freely, right? If you go through the ceiling, like out to outer space, you could just float freely in space. And in doing so, you have no connection with the world. Your feet could not be planted if you break through that ceiling. And sometimes we see that happening. You can also get wounds from breaking glass ceilings. So that's something else we're going to talk about. What are the wounds that we've received from going straight through this glass ceiling? This was an exciting year for women. I'm going to show you a little montage. Technical difficulties today. Let's see.
Glass ceilings that have been shattered this year. We have people like, well, it's not, sorry, <laughs> Hillary Clinton. <laughs> we have people like Nancy Pelosi. We have people like Sarah Palin. We have Condoleezza Rice. These are some of the people that, if we look by the world standards, we see that they're they've 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 shattered some glass ceilings. It was it was actually an exciting year, and I think though we may not have agreed with everything about these women and what they stand for, I think there's a sense of, um, of awe, of respect, of gratitude for breaking glass ceilings, wouldn't you say? I mean, even though we didn't maybe agree with everything, I think there's a sense of, of, of wow, we've broken glass ceilings. Uh, speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was the first Speaker of the House. Hillary Clinton was, uh, I believe, the first person to a woman to run for president on a major party platform. She didn't get the nomination, but she was one of the first. We have uh, Sarah Palin, who was the first female uh, vice presidential candidate on the major major party. We also, Chris, can you click the next one? We also have. Um, other ways that women kind of break glass ceilings. It's, it's funny because it, a lot of times, if you look at the history of women and like some of the landmarks, a lot of them are with sports. Just women being allowed to um, participate in sports and, uh, and some of the first. And, and these were just some remarkable moments this year where women won and they, and they did so and, and got a lot of attention. And you, again, you look at it and you feel proud. Here's some a representative of, of breaking glass ceilings and being able to compete. Now, we're not competing with men, um, but, but we're able to compete and, and to be a part of this. And I, I just wanted to show these pictures because they remind us of where women are today. Um, we've come a long way. <laughs> we have June Cleaver here. We have a secretary. We have women working in a factory. We have just some women knitting, a woman with her child in the kitchen. Uh, we've, come a, we've come a long way in, in simply a hundred years. I, I mean, a little over a hundred years ago, women couldn't vote. A little over a hundred years ago, women couldn't own property. A li little over 75 years ago, women really didn't work outside of the home. And when they did, this is what they did. That was what they were limited to. Women have always been involved in, in arts and sciences, but at the same time, they could not be recognized for that. You know, we know many women authors who had to take men, male pen names because they weren't allowed to, to be in that profession, or if they were, they wouldn't have sold books. So I could, I, I look at today and I see we've come, we've come a long way in a very short amount of time now a woman, a woman can be a wife, a mother, a governor, just like Sarah Palin was. I mean, that, what a beautiful example um, that is. 
Um, in some countries, women can be president. So we, we've come a long way. We've, recognition has been given um, to women. However, at what cost? Are we, are, have this, has this wiped away all of our problems? It hasn't. We still see a lot of sadness. You know, we, we still see people suffering from abortion. We see people uh, who are just suffering from broken homes. Um, from This is Britney Spears, who's just, it's tragic, you know, what, what happens in that woman's life. Alcoholism, um, anorexia, and eating disorders, and, and this is what we glorify, this is a supermodel, you know. Um, uh, uh, prostitution, and just sadness. Has it, ha has it really gone away with the advances that we've got? Um, uh, in successes, glass ceilings that have been shattered. And this is why I use the term shattered and why I said, you know, sometimes if we break glass ceilings, are we just free floating? Or are, are we shattered? Are we, are we scarred from, um, from breaking the glass ceilings? And I think in many ways we can be. And today we're going to look at, at that, how, how we've been shattered. I wanted to, again, ask for your help a little bit because I, I really want you to be thinking along with me. What does society say about women today? What is the model of success? What is a successful woman? What are her qualities? What is positive about where we are? So let's start. What are, what are some of the successes of women today? What are her qual the, the qualities of a successful woman? A college degree. A college degree, absolutely. Beautiful, thin. A gorgeous person, a beautiful, a physically beautiful, very thin, tailored. She can do it all. She can do it all. Superwoman, Wonder Woman. Two kids. Two, two kids, a boy and a girl. Or no kids. <laughs> Driven, ambitious, maybe. You got girls have one in the back? No. It's not just with women, you're right. Drugs and alcohol. And the young ladies, what is success? What's success in your world? Don't be shy. Young ladies in the back, what is success? I would say just like think differently. Okay. So not working, not working outside of the home. Not having a lot of children. Mm -hmm. Not, and I disagree that that's also an extreme that also is not living who, who we are to be. So perhaps the model in our minds sometimes of a successful woman is one who maybe goes to college, a successful Catholic woman, goes to college, gets married right after college, um, has a bunch of kids, and doesn't work outside of the home, and, and, 
And that's maybe the model of successful womanhood in our a Catholic womanhood in our minds. That, that that could be true. That could be true. And we'll try to talk a little bit more about that. That's a great point. Sometimes women, a successful woman, someone said driven and ambitious. Sometimes we uh, we get our identity from doing, from working, from doing, from being active, from having children. Our identity comes from all of these things that are doing, right? Activity. Sometimes that's our success. Anyone have any anything else to add? Well, I do. Yes, ma'am. I think the most successful woman that I know. Restrictions per se, but is it, it allows true femininity, true womanhood to flourish. That we don't need to be stretching for these successes that we look at. So thank you for sharing about motherhood because that's going to be a very important part of what we talk about. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Strength. Strength is a, is a quality of womanhood. And that's not just physical strength, right? It's interior, deep interior strength. Yes, ma'am. Proverbs, and, and what, what, what sticks out in your mind about Proverbs 31? The perfect woman. Uh, very good. So is caring. So we've got quite a few things in the mix here. And I think we can look at um, at, at some of the models that we've seen of society today, and we see some, some confusion. We see conflicting views from the Catholic world, perhaps, or from the secular world, perhaps, from our own families, we might see conflicting views, and that's okay. What we're going to do today is kind of sort through it. We're going to look at the positives, and we're going to look at the negatives, and we're going to try to make sense of it so that we have a firm grounding to go back and to... to to meditate and to listen to, to what God is calling us as women to be in our lives. I'm going to be drawing from I'm going to be drawing right now from um, mostly from Pope John Paul's letter to women. So just to give you, I mean, excuse, yeah, letter to women, just to give you some context. Pope John Paul wrote this um, in 1995. He was asked to um, give some comments for um, the. World, World Conference on Women, the Beijing Conference. You may, you may have heard of that. And um, he was asked to just give the Catholic Church some input from the Catholic Church on women. And this is a time when uh, the UN was really pushing hard for women's rights, which meant population control, which meant birth control for everyone, 
um, free birth control. It was it was a real time of of um, a lot moving with women, a lot going on, and it all a lot of it was negative towards our bodies and was trying to control our motherhood in a sense, control our fertility. And so he wrote this beautiful letter to the conference um, uh, director and. But he stressed, this is a letter to all women. And he, um, he felt so strongly that this was a letter to all women that he wanted, um, he, he ended up printing it in this document and sending it to all the bishops of the world so that it could eventually be passed down to women. You ever heard of it before? No, it didn't get passed down very well, did it? <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to change that. We're going to change that. We, we should know this beautiful letter to women because it's written to us. It's written to every woman. Um, Pope John Paul's encyclical, this, this encyclical kind of takes the form, of, it's not an encyclical, excuse me, it's just a letter. It takes the form of, a, uh, of an examination of conscience. It's kind of like Ignatian spirituality. And um, it, this kind of ex- daily examination of conscience has five parts. You start with thanking God for all he's given you in a day. And you ask for the grace to know and correct your faults. And then you review the hours of the day. You kind of go over it. And, um, and you're looking for the, your faults and you're looking for um, uh, things that you failed to do. And, and then you ask for God's pardon. And then you propose an amendment. And this letter kind of takes this whole form. He begins with thanks. And he is thankful to all women. So I'm going to repeat that because I saw some people scribbling. So you start with thanks. You ask for the grace to know and to correct your faults. You review your day. You ask for God's pardon. And you propose an amendment. You propose change and action. So this is what the letter, this is what the letter does, the form it takes. And, And first, this is what he says. And this is why it's for all women. I'm going to read it. It says, this word of thanks to the Lord for his mysterious plan regarding the vocation and mission of women in the world is at the same time a concrete and direct word of thanks to women, to every woman, for all that they represent in the life of humanity. And then he goes through this litany, and it's beautiful. Thank you, women who are mothers. You You have sheltered human beings within yourself in a unique experience of joy and travail. This experience makes you become God's own smile upon the newborn child, the one who guides your child's first steps, who helps it to grow, and who is the anchor as the child makes its way along the journey of life. How many mothers do we have in here? The Pope says thank you. Thank you, women who are wives, you are irrevocably join you irrevocably join your future to that of your husband in a relationship of mutual giving at the service of life and love how many wives do we have in here pope john paul says thank you thank you women who are daughters and women who are sisters into the heart of the family and then into the heart of all society you bring the richness of your sensitivity, your intuitiveness, your generosity, and fidelity. How many daughters and sisters do we have in here? Come on, everyone's a daughter and a sister. 
Pope John Paul says thank you. Thank you, women who work. You are present and active in every area of life, social, economic, cultural, artistic, and political. In this way, you make an indispensable contribution to the growth of a, of a culture which unites reason and feeling to a model of life ever open to the sense of mystery, to the establishment of the economic and political structures that are ever more worthy of humanity. Thank you, women who work. I like, I'm going to pause for a minute because he says something really interesting here. He says that we unite reason and feeling. You know, that's, think about that. We're going to talk about that a little later. And he also says we make economic and political structures ever more worthy of humanity. It's interesting, huh? Sometimes we think of economic and political structures as being cold and hard, right? But he's saying women make them more worthy of humanity, more worthy of the human person. He thanks consecrated women. Thank you, consecrated women. Following the example of the greatest of women, the mother of Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, you open yourselves with obedience and fidelity to the gift of God's love. You help the church and all mankind to experience a spousal relationship to God, one which magnificently expresses the fellowship which God wishes to establish with his creatures. Do we have any consecrated women here? Any nuns or, or uh, so I'm praying in the chapel, so hopefully they'll pray for us. Thank you, every woman, for the simple fact of being a woman. Through the insight, which is so much a part of your womanhood, you enrich the world's understanding and make human relations more honest and authentic. So again, I'm just going to point out a few words that we'll talk about a little later. Women unite reason and feeling. He thanks women for their sensitivity, their intuitiveness, their generosity, their fidelity. He thanks women for bringing um, humanity into culture, into economics, into politics, into kind of the, the rat race of the world. He thanks women for making human relations more honest and authentic. Okay, keep those in mind because those are part of what the feminine genius is about. So again, the whole point of his beginning is just to thank you, to affirm you, to thank you for where you are in your lives. He thanks us, but then he also recognizes us, recognizes that there's still a long way to go for women to be truly free. Even though we've broken glass ceilings, there's still a lot of sadness. There's still, still a lot of discrimination. There's still a lot of injustice. There's still a lot of confusion on the part of women ourselves. And so, again, taking the model of the examination of conscience, he begins to look at what those obstacles are and what the problems are. And again, I'm going to read another part. I'm sorry to read so much, but the document itself is so beautiful. This is number three in the document. It says, we are heirs to a history which has conditioned us to a remarkable extent. In every time and place, this conditioning has been an obstacle to women's progress. This is Domination, male domination, you know. Women's dignity has often been unacknowledged and her prerogatives misrepresented. They have often been related, relegated to the margins of society, even reduced to servitude. Unfortunately, many times when we look back through history, that's the place that women had. 
This has prevented women from truly being themselves, and it has resulted in a spiritual impoverishment of humanity. The Pope also talks in this passage about how that may have happened in the church at times. In the long history of the church, there may have been times where women were not fully recognized. And, and he says, for this I am truly sorry. May this regret be transformed on the part of the whole church into a renewed commitment of fidelity to the gospel vision. When it comes to setting women free from every kind of exploitation and dom domination, the gospel contains an ever-relevant message which goes back to the attitude of Jesus Christ himself. Transcending the established norms of his culture, Jesus treated women with open respect, acceptance, and tenderness. In this way, he honored the dignity which women have always possessed according to God's plan and his love. The Pope is constantly, this, this encyclical is beautiful as well as, uh, this letter is beautiful as well as uh, Mulieris Dignitatum on the Dignity of Women. That encyclical, it's a pretty long encyclical, and at the heart of it, the central chapters are on Jesus Christ. And so the Pope is always referring back to Christ. He's looking at the history of the church. He's looking at the history of male domination. But he refers back to the gospel. He refers back to the gospel of Christ and Jesus' example. The Pope continues, It is time to examine the past with courage, to assign responsibility where it is due in a review of the long history of humanity. Women have contributed to that history. And at times, in more difficult circumstances than men. I think particularly, the Pope says, I think particularly of those women who loved culture, art, devoted their lives to them in spite of the fact that they were frequently at a disadvantage from the start, excluded from equal educational opportunities, underestimated, ignored, and not given credit for their intellectual con contributions. Sadly, very little of women's achievements in the history can be registered by, the, history, by, by the, the science of history. If you look back, it's, now, it's only now that women are starting to go back and try to register, register some kind of history of women's contributions. But even through time, though they may have been buried, the documentary evidence of those achievements, their beneficial influence can be felt as a force which has shaped the lives of successive generations right up to our own. To this great, immense feminine tradition, humanity owes a debt which can never be repaid. How many women have been and continue to be valued, this is the sad part, for their physical appearance, more for their physical appearance than for their skill, for their professionalism, their intellectual abilities, their deep sensitivity, and in a word, the very dignity of our being. So he's lamenting. He's lamenting that we've had such a hard time. You know, and that's something we, we spoke of um, as you guys listed the, the, um, what we see in women. Um, excuse me? Okay. Sure. I think that's what we're. I think that's what we're talking about today. That we still have a long way to go is basically what he's saying. He's saying many accomplishments have happened. We've been welcomed into the arts, into society, into work. Um, we've. He's. He's regretted any any uh, 
discrimination that may have even happened in the church. But he's also saying, though you've come a long way, we still have a long way to go. And you know what he tells us? He tells us we are a part of, we're a part of the past. We have some fault in the past, and we're going to talk about that in the next, in the next session. But we, he's also saying we are also responsible for the future. <laughs> we're responsible for recognizing who we are so that we can help others to recognize our dignity. So today we're not going to sit here and talk about the failures or, or the problems or the place blame. We're going we're gonna to try to look at and find the true dignity and want to live it in our own lives and encourage other people to live it. So that, that's what we're about, exactly what you're saying. Are we fully recognized? No. Do we fully recognize ourselves sometimes for the, for the beautiful women that God has created us? Sometimes no. And that's what we need to do because it starts here. So that's exactly, exactly what we're talking about. <clears throat> Again, just to review. So he recognizes that there's, there's more to go. What he proposes, what Pope proposes, is a new authentic feminism. He, but, bef- but before he does that, in his, encyclical, uh, in his letter to women, he gives an outline of, uh, women's, of, of feminism, okay, of historic feminism. And the first phase of historic feminism, and this is a little bit of a history lesson, Okay, so this is a bit of a history lesson. Um, the first phase of feminism, and this is just historic feminism, you can read a lot more about it um, if, you, if you want to, and I can give you some resources. But the first phase was around the mid-1800s, uh, and the primary goal of this phase was to obtain the right to own property. It was, in a way, to obtain the right to kind of be a player in society. You weren't the property of your husband or of your family, but you were your own and you could own property. Also in this phase was um, an effort uh, for women's suffrage, the right to vote. This is when that began. There was uh, the right to ed- educational opportunities, to having a, a higher education, um, to, to some, and for some, just simply learning to to read and to write. Now, that's not for everyone, but it was just a wider equality of um, educa- a wider spread of ed- educational opportunities. This was focused on primarily on eliminating um, unjust laws and 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 unjust discrimination that was written into those laws. That's the first phase. Some people in this phase might be um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton or uh, Susan B. Anthony. Those are some, some people you could look up if you wanted to know a little bit more about what they did. Now, mind you, we're looking at mass movements of, of, of women in history that changed something. There were women all throughout um, history who you could look at and you say, remarkable woman, and she made it to the history books. So we're, we're looking at kind of the mass movement and, the, and society as a whole and how they understood women. The second phase occurred in the 1920s and the 1930s. And this, again, continued to focus on improving educational opportunities, improving society, uh, social rights. 
It called for equal opportunities for the woman in the workplace, so kind of outside the home. Um, again, this was sort of between the two world wars, and, and during the First World War, <coughs> when all the men left, women became um, more active outside of the home because they, they, in a sense, needed to work. The, the country needed them to work. And um, in a way, this awakened them to wanting to work um, in more capacities outside of the home. So this is the 20s and 30s, and this is the, that's when there was a big push to, to have higher education opportunities and op equal opportunities outside of the home. Um, I mean, again, to, to think about what some women were doing historically, it's, a, it's interesting to kind of look. In 1854, well, first of all, this, this uh, timeline that I printed out, it starts with 1762, Catherine the Great became uh, the ruler of Russia. So there have been women rulers for a very long period of time. It's kind of amazing that um, the rest of society just didn't catch on to it because there have been women rulers for a long time. 1854, Florence Nightingale introduced nursing innovation. So she was contributing to nursing and, and, and science and um, medicine. Susan B. Anthony that same year in 1854 began her crusade for women's rights. 1881, the American Red Cross is founded by Clara Barton. And, I mean, it's amazing. There's another organization that's been, been around um, uh, for a long time now and was started by women. Um, we have Marie uh, Curie in 1903 who um, won the Nobel Peace Prize for the discovery of radioactivity. Um, a little later, and, and this is where you see... Um, maybe a distortion of the women's uh, fem feminist movement. Margaret Sanger opens the first birth control clinic in 1916. Um, 1930, Amelia Earhart becomes the first woman to, woman to fly across the Atlantic Ocean. So this is, you know, you can see as we move into the 1920s, people are, are, are gaining, women are gaining um, more entrance into society um, in, I think, widespread successes, you know, success stories. But then we see in the 1960s, the 1970s, um, a third phase of feminism. And this phase has what, what is called two waves, two parts. Um, one is a moderate feminism. It, it kind of promoted um, equality. Men and women are the same. But it was a unisex theory. It's almost as if... Um, our differences were merely social behaviors, that we simply learned how to be little girls because our parents taught us to be little girls, and boys learned to be little boys because their parents taught them to be little boys. As if there was nothing essentially different about us but our, different about us but our bodies. Um, that's kind of the unisex uh, theory. And they looked at the bodies as pretty inconvenient. You know, those differences were pretty inconvenient, but they related nothing to, um, to our essential nature. The other part of, and that, again, that's moderate feminism. The other part of that third um, phase is called radical feminism. This is where the woman's body began to be attacked. Basically, the biological factors that were different for women um, were seen as a, as a huge inconvenience and needed to be corrected. The body stands in the way of equality, so they fertilize, excuse me, they sterilize the body through contraception and abortion. This kind of feminism you probably have heard of, this is maybe what you think of in your minds when you think of feminism, 
Um, but it's, it produced slogans like, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. <laughs> Women spelled woman, W-O-M-Y-N, to take away any reference to man. The feminist characterized herself as self-sufficient, radically autonomous. I am woman, hear me roar. We all we kind of know this image in the 60s and the 70s. Um, this is my body. These are my rights. This is, I have the right to do whatever I want with my body. Um, and then we see that this kind of neglected the other life, <laughs> the life in the womb, and the rights of the, of the life in the womb. So that's a, an overview of the feminist movement in, in history. Now, granted, if you, if you started to look up things in feminism, there's a very long history, and they get delve into it. But for the Pope's purposes in Letter to Women, this is the overview that he gives. And he looks at it and he says, gosh, there are such positive contributions that were made through the feminist movement. Um, we can vote. We can now be president of the United States. If we, if we get enough people, we convince enough people we're capable uh, or we're, we have the skills to do it. We, we gained a lot. I mean, women can be uh, billionaires. Women can be uh, head CEOs of corporations. They've made it to Wall Street. We've done all of these things. And the Pope looks at this and he says, this is good. This is, this is good. It's good to see you flourishing and flowering. But he also says, what have we lost along the way? Um, to sum up, just a quick summary. We broke, what, what was the feminist movement? We broke male domination. In, some, um, in many ways, we stopped discrimination and exploitation. It gave women a place for her rational capacities and creativity to flourish in the public sphere. It allowed her to recog be recognized for her gifts of faith, I mean, excuse me, of, of, of reason and creativity. But the battle of the sexes continues. We see men, we start to see men resenting the self-sufficient, autonomous, radically independent, and sometimes antagonistic feminist that they end up seeing in, in some women today. In many ways, we see women who are more confused about who they are rather than being free to be truly feminine. It confuses, this confusion causes men also to forget who they are. You know, and, and as we become equal, we don't have very good um, relational capacities anymore because we've equalized everything. So men don't know who they are and women don't know who they are. And we're just all kind of muddled about in some respects. The, the, the consequences of that third radical feminism can be seen um, particularly in things like Planned Parenthood, in population control, now, the now organization, um, where we're not only, this isn't only in the United States that we're having this feminism, but we've, we're pumping this feminism all over the world, to the third world. We're telling them they need population control. Um, the Pope wants to correct this, and he wants to ask us our help in doing this. He, she, he tells us that we don't have to, to, to be divorced from our body <laughs> to be free. We don't have to attack our body to be free, to have liberation as the women's liberation movement 
was supposed to give us. Motherhood and fruitfulness is a part of who we are, and we need to bring this to the world. What is the Pope's solution? Focusing on our uniqueness. Not becoming same as men. Not contributing in the same ways as men, but contributing in our own unique ways. We want equality, not sameness, right? We, we are equal, but we're not the same. Anyone can look at us and know we're not the same. You can look at a little boy and a little girl and see as they, as they just play with each other or play, play together, that they're just, they're not the same. I mean, a little boy, no matter if he's, if he's ever really seen a gun, will start using a banana as a gun. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, little boys and little girls are different. Little girls love the human face. You know, they love, they just, they have this attraction to little dolls because it's a little human, you know? And there's an attraction to the person. Little boys can play with a truck all day long. I mean, it, it, there's a difference. We see it at the earliest of stages. They're equal, equal dignity, but they're not the same. Men and women complement each other, and the world needs both. Men and women have different gifts, and the world needs all of our gifts. The new feminism, which Pope John Paul talks about, calls for four things. It calls for an embrace of femininity and a universal recognition of the dignity of woman. And he's not saying we're there yet. He's saying this is what it calls for. This is what we're here to do. We need to understand femininity through our reason. So we look at this not only um, through eyes of faith, but through eyes of reason. It reinforces the differences of men and women as wonderfully complementary. We don't have to become like men to be accepted in today's society. And fourthly, the new feminism calls for women who are intent on reconciling humanity to life. We are, we are intent on seeing humanity, on folk bringing the world, bringing humanness <laughs> to the world that has become somewhat bland. It's become somewhat product-oriented, somewhat mechanism-oriented. And we want to bring humanity into that, the human person into that. I think we'll pause for a second and then we'll kind of delve a little further into the new, new feminism and give a few more points to that. <clears throat> 